Well, if you've got a Bible, open up to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. <laughs> this morning in particular, we'll be in verses 15 through 21, which is a bit of overlap. So last week, we went into this passage. So verses 14 and 15, we talked about last week too, but it's sort of a hinge, those two verses, hinge verses. They kind of fit with what we talked about last week. They'll fit with what we talk about this week. So we're just going to include them again. So we'll look at verses 15 through 21. Um, there's a bare bones outline, the main points on the back of the worship guide there, if that's helpful for you to keep an eye on as, as we move along. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of the hardback ESV ones that are there in, in the pew back in front of you. It's page 914, if you're looking on there. Page 914, Galatians 2, 15 through 21. Uh, in my lifetime, I don't think there was ever a more memorable presidential soundbite than Ronald Reagan saying, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. You guys probably remember that, or at least you've heard that. The, the Berlin Wall, so that was that concrete barrier that was constructed to separate uh, uh, communist uh, East Berlin from the rest of the world. And it was, it was hugely significant to have that divide broken down. I mean, you guys will remember that, how significant that was, the late 80s and, and early 90s. And in particular, it was significant for the folks in East Berlin that hadn't been allowed to leave and were walled in, and now all of a sudden had a, a certain degree of, of freedom. So the folks in West Berlin, they could move about freely. That, that wasn't the case in the eastern part of, of that place where freedom was severely limited. And so there was a lot of excitement when the wall was finally torn down in 1989. So people were celebrating. You can watch clips of that. What, what you didn't see were any of the citizens of East Berlin working to rebuild that wall. So that wasn't a thing. They were thrilled that that wall was gone. Well, our passage this morning uses this exact picture to talk about Jesus's work. So Paul's using the picture of a, of a wall. There's a symbolic wall, which Jesus has torn down. And it's the wall of the law. The Old Testament law was this wall that had been erected, and it was used by the Lord for good. We'll talk about more about that in the coming weeks, but, but it's this wall of the law, and it's, it's a wall that Jesus had torn down. Now, remember what we saw in our passage last week. So Peter and, and the other Jewish Christians in the Antioch church, they were acting like the Gentiles had to accept the Old Testament food laws. Remember, that was the big rub in the passage last week. They were saying, no, to be a Christian, you've got to trust in Jesus, but you also have to do these particular things from the Old Testament law. And, and Paul tells about that story because in the churches of Galatia, there were false teachers who were saying that Gentiles to become Christians had to do the same thing. They weren't focusing on the food laws, remember? They were focusing on circumcision. So families would have to have the males get circumcised. That was the part of the Old Testament law that they were pointing to. And the problem with both those situations, food laws, and circumcision laws, is that those folks were adding to the gospel. So they were saying the way for somebody to become innocent in God's eyes, the way for them to become God's child, to become reconciled to God, was through faith in Christ, no doubt, but it was faith in Christ plus these particular works. And that's where Paul says that's a, that's a false gospel. But see, Jesus had, he had torn down the wall of the Old Testament law, at least as a system to be made right with God. But these false teachers in Galatia, they're wanting to rebuild that wall. And that's exactly what Paul is telling us not to do. So hear the word of the Lord, Galatians 2, 15 through 21. Paul says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Okay, so in this passage, Paul gives us five main reasons to not rebuild the wall of the Old Testament law. Five reasons, that's the way we'll look at the passage. So we'll go through them real quick. First, don't rebuild the law because justification is by faith alone. So first thing Paul says here. Second, don't rebuild it because the law can't justify anybody. Third, don't rebuild it because law and life are mutually exclusive. If you want to have life, you can't go to the law to try to get life. Fourth, don't rebuild the law because that would be a sin. And finally, and probably most intense, don't rebuild the law because that would be a rejection of God's grace and a rejection of God's son. So first, first thing that Paul says here to convince Christians not to rebuild the law is that justification is by faith alone. Look at verse 15. We looked at it last week. We'll look at it again now. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. I also remember what Paul means when he uses that word justified. He uses that word a bunch in the book of Galatians. In fact, this word justified shows up three times in just this single verse here. It's a significant word, a significant idea. Well, remember, it's a courtroom word. Basically, justified is the verdict that a judge and jury give to somebody who's a defendant. So if they're justified, then they're not guilty. They're innocent. If they're condemned, that's the opposite of justified, then they're, they're guilty. So the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus will one day return to end this age. And part of those events is that he will judge every human who has ever lived. And everybody will either get condemned or justified. They'll either be declared guilty or they'll be declared innocent. Of course, the ones he considers innocent will go to everlasting glory in heaven. And the ones who he condemns will go to everlasting torment in hell. Well, as, as a Christian, the moment you first believed in Christ, God went ahead and gave you that verdict of innocent. So see, even though that trial doesn't happen until Christ returns, God took the declaration that he'll make over you on that day, and he brought it into the present. So the moment a sinner trusts in Christ alone for their salvation, that innocent verdict is given to them at the front end, this final verdict of innocent. And of course, that's through our connection to Jesus, his, his person and work. We're connected to him by faith, and then we're considered innocent of all sin forever. We're righteous in God's eyes. That's why God tells us this in Romans 8, verse 33. What an encouraging verse. He says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So for the Christians here, because of our connection to Christ through faith alone in him, God has already declared us innocent and nobody can ever take that away. Nobody can ever fiddle with that finding from the judge. We have been justified. 
And this is the main point Paul continually comes back to in the book of Galatians. We've already seen it so often, right? Every sermon, every passage we've talked about this, we're, we've become familiar with it. It's not doing good things or obeying God or trying really hard. That's not what covers your sins. That's not what established your relationship with the Lord. Faith alone in Christ alone is, is what does that. Paul will keep coming back to it in Galatians, but it's good to see how confident he is in this assertion. Look at verse 16. In verse 16, Paul says, we know that a person is justified by faith alone. So it's not just that we can be pretty confident. No, he says we can know it. We can know we're justified by faith alone. And when it comes to this doctrine, there, there's only one way that as Christians we can say we know something. We know it when the Bible says it. But the Bible's really, really clear on this doctrine. From start to finish. And this, is, this isn't something invented by Paul in the book of Galatians. So look at chapter 3, verse 6, a bit further down there. Paul's going to show us that justification by faith alone is the story of Abraham from the earliest chapters in Genesis. That's the way the Lord has always worked. In chapter 3, verse 10, he's going to quote from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy to prove this doctrine. Jesus taught this same doctrine. So remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? Where they both go to the temple and the Pharisee says, Lord, I'm so thankful that I'm not like this guy who's a sinner, but I'm righteous. And you remember what the tax collector does? He doesn't, he won't even look up at the Lord. He's just looking at the ground because he understands that he's a sinner. And you remember what Jesus says? He says, it wasn't the Pharisee that left justified. He didn't leave with an innocent verdict. He left with a guilty verdict. No, it's the tax collector that leaves with an innocent verdict. So it's not good works. It's through faith alone and in Christ alone. That's undoubtedly what, what the Bible teaches. There's only one person who's ever deserved a relationship with God by his own merits, and that's Jesus Christ. For sinners, we have to go through Christ to get to the Lord. But Paul also, he reminds the Galatians, it's not just the Bible that teaches justification by faith alone. It's also their own experience. They have experienced it, just like as Christians we have. Look at the middle of verse 16. He says, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. So he's basically saying, Galatians, you have seen this work itself out. You've experienced this, that justification comes by faith alone. Look down at chapter three, verse two. It says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So for anybody who's a real Christian, they should remember how they became saved. It wasn't by doing good works, cleaning themselves up becoming obedient to the Lord? No, it's faith alone in Christ alone. And that's when we got the Holy Spirit. We got the Spirit apart from any good works that, that we did. So Paul's making this case. He says, we know from the Bible, we know from our own experience, justification comes by faith alone in Christ alone. Doesn't have anything to do with obeying the law, obeying the food laws or being circumcised or honoring the Sabbath or any other part of the Old Testament law. So this is Paul's first point to us this morning. Don't rebuild the Old Testament law because the way for somebody to be justified is through faith alone, in Christ alone. Well, the next thing we see here is, is why justification is by faith alone, and that's because the law can't justify anybody. This is Paul's second reason to not rebuild the law. Verse 16 again. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Last part of verse 16. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So not only does the Bible teach justification in God's eyes comes by faith alone, it also teaches it couldn't have come by any other way. 
There's no other option here. There's no way for humans to secure it by our own efforts. So let's look at why that is. We've already referenced it, but look, look at chapter three, verse 10. That's where Paul says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Okay, we've talked about this. If somebody takes the route of trying to justify themselves by good works, which is what most of the world is trying to do, if someone takes that route, this verse tells us they'll have to abide by all things written in the book of the law. So, so for everyone who decides not to trust in Christ alone for their salvation, that in God's eyes, they're taking their justification into their own hands. They're going to have to pay for it in full. They'll have to do it perfectly, 100%. They have to be perfect. And since no one can keep God's law perfectly, their law-breaking will lead to God's judgment. They'll be cursed. See, that's why. Justification by the law doesn't work. Verse 15, Paul points this out. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul's pointing out, if, if anybody had a chance of being justified by the law, it was God's Old Testament people. Because they were the ones that had the law. They had this relationship with God that he had created for them. But, but even then, the law couldn't do what they needed it to do to be justified. The law couldn't make them perfect. Even the Jews fell short. This is what Paul says in Romans 3. Are we Jews any better off when it comes to obeying God's law? No, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So because of their sin, the Jews couldn't be justified by the law because of sin. So, so nobody can. The law can't justify anybody. I remember Marie and I watched this multi-part series on the Vietnam War. This is years ago. And it was amazing to see how brave those soldiers were. And one particular way you saw how brave they were is because when they're marching through those fields in Vietnam, there were landmines everywhere. So they had to try to avoid them, but, but it was impossible to avoid all of them. So there were a lot of casualties that, that came from those landmines. And if they stepped on one, that would instantly end their life. That's a helpful way to think about justification, at least justification that comes by human effort, human works. So, so if you're trusting in Jesus Christ for your justification, then, then that's letting Jesus walk through that minefield in your place, right? He gets through the whole thing. You're, you're not fighting to win a relationship with God. He's the one that's achieved it for you. But see, if justification is on our shoulders, that's us trying to walk through that minefield to avoid every particular sin, every lustful thought, every angry word, every unrighteous deed. All those things are just little landmines that are there throughout our day. And any of them would scrap our justification. We would end up condemned because we can't keep the law perfectly. So just think about that. Think, think about how long that would take you. Think about how long it takes you on Monday morning to get unrighteously angry with your kids. A lot of times it doesn't take very long. Think about how long it takes you at work to resist loving one of your coworkers because it's inconvenient for you to love them. That usually doesn't take very long. If, if you're a kid, think about how long it takes on Saturday morning for you to disobey your parents or for you to complain, even if you don't do it outwardly, but if you're just complaining inside about what your parents have, have asked you to do. Listen, if justification depended on your works, it, it would take just one sin, one time during the course of your life, like a landmine to destroy you, to lead to condemnation. As chapter three, verse 10 says, you'd be cursed because you didn't abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them.
So end of verse 16 in our passage, undoubtedly true, by works of the law, no one will be justified. So don't rebuild the law because the law can't justify anybody. And, and moving to our next point, and another way to think about it is the law can't justify anybody because all the law can do is pronounce guilt. Think of it this way. In the military, there, there's a group of people called death notifiers. One nice thing about the military is they just name things what they are. There's no guesswork. A death notifier, what is that? Those are the soldiers that go and tell a family that their son or daughter has died. Pretty horrible job. It's a job that very few soldiers volunteer for because it's, it's so difficult. And it's a hard job because all you're ever doing is, is bringing bad news. And that's, it's the worst kind of news because it's the, it's the news of somebody's death. Listen, that's exactly what the law does. The law is a death notifier. But the only difference is the law doesn't come to you pronouncing somebody else's death. The law comes to us pronouncing our death, telling us where we have fallen short. The law comes to us, and what it tells you is you're a sinner and you deserve condemnation because of your sin. It's just like one of those death notifiers. It never brings news about life. It does just the opposite. This is Paul's third reason for us to not rebuild the law because law and life are mutually exclusive. Look at verse 19. We see the dichotomy there. He says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. So basically, he says, you have to pick. You can either have the law or you can have life in the Lord, but you can't have both. They're mutually exclusive. And that's because the law, all it can bring is condemnation, which separates from life. The law doesn't have any life to give. Look over at chapter 3, verse 21. He says, is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. So you see what he says there, it's implicit. The law can't give life. <coughs> so think about it this way. The law is like a coroner. It's not like a doctor. It doesn't bring any life. All it does is pronounces death and tells why you died. That's what the law is. It's, it's just a coroner. It can't heal. So again, back to the specific situation in Galatia, these false teachers are saying to be justified, you have to obey the law. But see, Paul's saying the exact opposite. He says life and law are mutually exclusive. What we need to do is to be separated from the law. Because again, all it brings is death. But that's a hard thing to do. How are we separated from the law? Because the law isn't just like a coroner, it's, it's also like a bounty hunter that will keep coming after you. So, so how do we separate ourselves from it? Well, Romans 3.19 says it this way in terms of what the law does. It says, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Okay, so again, the, the law's job is to make sure everybody knows they're a sinner. It's like a bounty hunter. It's pursuing everybody to let them know they're, they're condemned. So the law, it's like it has your face on a wanted poster and it won't stop in, until you're brought to justice. Okay, so how, how do we stop it? How do we separate ourselves from the law? Well, the way to do that is the death sentence for your sins has to be paid for. But this is the beautiful thing about the Christian gospel. To pay the penalty for sins, a death has to happen, but it doesn't have to be your death. That's the good news of the gospel, verse 19. He says, for through the law, I died to the law 
so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. Okay, so let's think about what Paul just said. As a Christian, he says, I have died to the law, which is what we've said has to happen for somebody to be separated from the law. But, but in what way has Paul died? Because he was alive. He's writing this letter. He's, he's not actually dead. So how, is he, how has he died? The answer is in verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. So Paul hadn't died for his sins, but he was connected to the one who died for his sins. Through faith alone and Christ alone, it was like Paul was there on the cross. His sins had been paid for. He gets the benefits of what Christ did on the cross for him. And this is what faith does. It connects us to Christ in such a way where he gets the bad things we've done and we get the good things he has done. It's like a marriage in that way. So when you get married, if you have debt, your spouse gets your debt. If, if your spouse has money in their bank account, you get that money in their bank account. What's theirs becomes yours. What's yours becomes theirs. That's what happens when we trust in Christ. Faith in Christ gives us the good things he's done. He has taken the bad things we've done. He paid for them on the cross. So in verse 19, Jesus is actually the one who through the law died to the law. And the reason Paul can use this language about himself is because he's been connected to Jesus through faith. Listen to what he says in Romans 7, verse 4. He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So Jesus is the one who actually through the law died to the law. But what does that mean? How did Christ go through the law and die to the law? Look at chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. And there Paul says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So the son of God left heaven, came to earth, so he could take the demands of the law on himself, so he could fulfill them perfectly. He loved God perfectly, loved others perfectly. He was born under the law. That's how he came through the law. So how did he die to the law, as verse 19 puts it? Well, look at chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So even though Jesus was never guilty of anything, he acted like he was guilty of something. He was treated like he was guilty of something. And it was our sins. That's why he hung on the cross. He had to be punished there on our behalf. And, and Paul tells us that we've been connected to him through faith. The second sentence of verse 20. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God. So Christ has paid for our sins. You might be familiar with that idea of double jeopardy. Not double jeopardy like in, in the show Jeopardy, but you in our country, you can't be, you can't be condemned of a crime twice. So if, if, if you have to serve time for a particular crime, they can't come back and retry you for that crime. Well, it's, it's the same thing here. So Christ has paid for your sins. So somebody has been punished for those sins. That's why we don't have to be punished for them. In God's eyes, that would be like double jeopardy. That doesn't work. No, somebody's already been punished for the crime, and that's what Christ did for us. Middle of verse 20 again, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And of course, that should, that should be an encouraging thing to us. That, that brings emotional life to us, right? Because you realize the pressure is off. This gets back to the idea about how the law can't bring life, but the gospel can. 
you've been justified in God's eyes. You, you don't have to work for your salvation any longer. So think about how different you would feel walking into a tryout for a sport if the coach already told you you were on the team. So think about those two different ways. Think about the first one, the way that it works normally, which is normal and fine. You go in and you try out. If you perform well enough, you make the team. Think about how you would feel in situations like that, walking in to try out versus if the coach just pulled you aside at the beginning of the tryout and said, hey, just so you know, I'm putting you on this roster. So no matter what's about to happen, you've, you've made the roster. See, that's the gospel. Can, can you see the emotional difference there? Can you see how the pressure is off? Isn't that so much better? Or you can think about it with, with taking a test. You know, so big test, it's going to be hard. Think about how nervous you are. You've got to perform to try to get that grade. But what if your teacher came over before the test and said, just so you know, you're going to get an A on this test. You know, no matter what you think, I, I promise you, you're going to get an A. That's the gospel. It really does take the pressure off. The law can't do that. The law does the opposite. The law puts the pressure on. There's a pastor one time, he, he summed all this up in a great way. He, he talks about the last words of Buddha versus the last words of Jesus. And Buddha can just stand in the place of any man-made religion. So you may not know this, but Buddha's last words were, work hard to gain your salvation. That's the last thing Buddha said. Okay, what's the last thing Jesus said? His last words were, it is finished. You see the difference between those two things? Justification by works, work hard to gain your salvation versus the gospel, it is finished. So for the Christian, the, the demands of the law, those aren't hanging over our head any longer. They, they don't show us our guilt because we've been connected to Christ through faith. This is the second, uh, the, the third reason rather that Paul says not to rebuild the law because law and life are mutually exclusive. Well, most of you, you're probably familiar with these first three reasons, especially if you've been here for some of the Galatian sermons, because a lot of this is stuff Paul has already brought up. We've, we've already talked about it, but, but even for those that are really familiar with this idea of justification by faith alone, we probably don't make, think much about Paul's next reason for why to not rebuild the law. And he says that to do that is actually a sin. He just boils it down that simple. It'd be sinful to do that. Look at verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Now, Paul's answering a, a particular charge against him. So these false teachers were saying, hey, Paul's version of the gospel, that is just trust in Christ alone that saves, that you don't have to do good works to earn God's favor, the false teachers were saying, that's just going to lead to people doing whatever they want. That's just going to lead to people living lifestyles that are not good, not pleasing to the Lord, because, hey, they're trusting in Christ. So that's the way they're saved. They don't have to worry about any fruit in their life. And we know that's not true. And the Bible talks against that. There's all sorts of reasons why those two things fit together. Faith in Christ, it's a living faith, right? It actually produces good works. We understand that. But these false teachers were making that claim against Paul. But, but look at the way he answers it. Verse 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? So they're saying, okay, you, you guys are trusting in Christ, but, but you're still sinning. And, and Paul, the reason you guys are still sinning is because you've torn down the law. That's why people aren't being righteous. Look at Paul's answer, verse 18. He says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So he doesn't even argue with the fact that Christians are still sinners. He just accepts that part of the argument that these false teachers are making. 
But what he does point out is that if he were to rebuild the law, that would be a sin. That's what a transgressor is. It's a sinner. So Paul's saying, yeah, I'm a sinner, but, but two wrongs don't make a right. And if I were to try to rebuild the law, that would be a sin too. That's not what the Lord wants. After all, in verse 21, Paul says, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died to no purpose. So he says, if, if I rebuild it, no matter the bad things that it does, it would still be sinful. That's not what the Lord wants. Okay, well, well, now we come to the final reason Paul gives for not rebuilding the law. And that is rebuilding the law is a rejection of God's grace and a rejection of God's son. Verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So Paul says, okay, if, if we were to believe that our justification came at least in part from our works, from our own obedience, that would cancel out the grace of God. It would mean Jesus had not had to come. And then Jesus died for no purpose. So first, rebuilding the law, it would cancel out the grace of God. And the reason for that should be clear to us at this point. If justification is by faith in Christ alone, then it's a complete gift. It's not anything we work to get. It's, it's given to us. However, if justification, even in part, is built on our own works, well, justification isn't gracious any longer. It's just a payment for certain services that, that we've done for the Lord. So when your boss signs your paycheck, you probably don't think about that as being particularly gracious. Well, no, you worked, right? He, he's giving you what you deserve. She's giving you what you deserve. However, if your boss gave you your paycheck before you started your job, okay, that, that would be different. That's a gift. Well, that's how the gospel works. God justified you before you did anything. And if we rebuild the law, making our works part of justification, and as Paul says in verse 21, we've nullified the grace of God. And at that point, God becomes no different than a boss who pays us for our work. But rebuilding the law doesn't just reject God's grace. It also rejects God's son. Verse 21 again, he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So what Paul's saying is to act like our justification comes through obedience, that means Jesus didn't have to come. He didn't have to pay for our sins. He, he didn't have to die. And if he did die, then it was for no purpose. So again, remember that what we've talked about before is that our justification when it comes to that, it's, it's faith alone in Christ, and God doesn't split the check. So, so we might try to say, hey, just let me pay for the appetizer, Lord. You know, so you pay for most of the meal through faith alone in Christ alone, but let me pay for the appetizer with my baptism, maybe, or with the Lord's Supper, or church membership, or loving my neighbor well. Let me, let me pay for a little bit of something. But God makes it clear, you no, know, in the gospel, he doesn't split the check. It's got to be all Jesus's work or we're rejecting that, and it's all our work. So that's a rejection of God's Son. It's, it's to say that Jesus is not our only hope. It's a rejection of the one who, verse 20 says, loved you and gave himself for you. And that's a big deal, right? If, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. But of course, Christ's death does have a purpose, because it's not the law that justifies sinners. It's faith alone in Christ alone. You can either have the law or have Christ, but, but you can't have both. So don't rebuild the law because that would be a rejection of God's grace and God's son. The law can't, can't justify you in God's eyes. All it can do is condemn you by pointing out where you fall short. And, and so not, not only is rebuilding the law a sin, it, it also separates us from life. And most importantly, it's a rejection of God's grace and a rejection of Christ. 
No, in, in God's grace, he, he sent his son to tear down the wall of justification by the law. So for your good and his glory, we don't want to rebuild that wall. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for the good news of the gospel. We're thankful, Father, that, that we don't have to try to justify ourselves by our own works. We know that can never work. Father, we pray that you would, you would keep us from that instinct to rebuild the wall of good works toward our justification. Father, that you would help us remember that that wall has been abolished for good for all time because the way that we're made right in your eyes is through trusting in your perfect son alone. Father, we pray again that we'd be a church that's marked by this, this dogged pursuit and dogged understanding of justification by faith alone, which is at the heart of the gospel. Thank you for the goodness of that gospel. We pray you would work those truths into our lives. Take a moment now, pray individually and silently that the spirit would press these truths in on your heart.